Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Um, a couple things before I start. I mostly lost my voice screaming at the top of my lungs at the Inflame show last night, so excuse me if my voice is a little worse than usual. And I got to record this half Monday night, half Tuesday night, just because of scheduling stuff. So uh, if there's like a giant change between uh, sections, that's why. So anyway, let's jump right in and see what we got. A new version of Swiss was just released, this time with the focus on fixing any issues when booting games from SD. So that includes the new SD adapter that plugs into the bottom of the GameCube, as well as the front SD adapters. Um, and of course, there's always a long other list of changes and updates to Swiss, but if you're booting off of uh, any SD media at all, definitely upgrade to this one right away. Um, and you should notice a bunch of differences for games like Metal Gear Solid and um, a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, definitely check out the change log. But I would strongly recommend upgrading to this one if you're an SD user. Some giant news for fans of the Mr. Project. Developer SRG320 has just completed the Sega CD core for Mr., which is pretty amazing. All you have to do is just uh, run the update like you normally would on Mr., then put all of your CDs in the Mega CD folder, and then add a BIOS uh, to that folder, and then just rename it. And that's it. It tends to work almost perfectly so far, which is incredible for a brand new release. So there's always some pretty incredible changes going on in the Mr. community, but this one really blew me away. So uh, I tested it out myself. Smoke Monster was nice enough to put together a few videos on it, and uh, he just did a live stream the other night as well, really showing it off and showing how good it works. So if, you, uh, if you're a Mr. user, no doubt get this core. And if you were waiting on getting a Mr., maybe this will finally push you over the edge. So very impressive work. Thanks so much to SRG320 and, of course, all the rest of the people on the Mr. Development team. The emulation software Emulicious has just gotten a pretty large update, and this time it focused on tweaking a bit more of developer-centric tools like multiple tabs, uh, as well as adding FM chip emulation for the Sega Master System. So for anybody unaware, Emulicious is an emulator that, while you could absolutely use it to play games, I think it was really designed with developers in mind, and uh, this has become a tool that a lot of devs who write their own games or do debugging tend to use for, now it's Game Boy, Game Boy color sms and game gear so if you're a developer and you're looking to mess with some of your games definitely give this one a try it's completely free and uh, i believe they just opened up a discord as well so if you need to chat with anybody else that uses it it's all pretty easy this next post is a bit of a crossover because it doesn't exactly involve retro gaming, but it affects stuff in retro gaming. Um, a developer named Ben Cox was trying to use an Epiphan VGA to USB capture card to capture game footage and realized that it wasn't compatible with the latest version of Linux. So he ended up writing his own drivers and then posted them uh, free up on GitHub for anybody else to use on Linux and OS X. Which is pretty incredible. And, you know, we as as fellow nerds run into stuff like this all the time. And it's really wonderful to see people post their results and just donate this stuff back to the community. I'm a big fan of the Epifan capture cards. And I would love to do more research and a few more videos and posts and stuff on how to use them and tweak them. And actually, because of Ben reminding me about this one, I just uh, purchased this exact same one, the VGA to USB. So hopefully I'll be able to to figure out exactly what you could do with it and how far it could go. But the fact that there's tools out there now is excellent, and I really, really hope that other developers will take, um, will, will, will kind of follow Ben's lead and 
have more custom software written for capture cards. Uh, the developer Michael Huth made one uh, made his own software for different Epifan software that auto calibrates. So that means auto calibration of colors and phase using just a, a bitmap file, which is kind of nuts. If you any, anybody who's done like direct RGB capture, that's pretty nuts because that compensates for to a point for voltage levels being off in the color line. So if you have one with like if your reds at 650 millivolts and your blues at you know 670 something that small this auto calibration tool could all just fix all of that for you so i would really love to see more custom stuff done and now that ben cox has posted his work maybe we could look more into the epifan stuff as well and of course i'm a giant fan of the data path cards so i know there's already people out there working on it but the more the merrier so uh if you don't mind a post that's not directly related to retro gaming check out ben's blog post and enjoy some very cool nerdiness Last week, I talked about the port of Super Mario Land to the Super Nintendo, and I talked about my only complaint is that the sound that Mario makes, that woohoo sound every time he jumps. And I spoke a little bit about different ways that you could get rid of that if you want to. And Smoke Monster, with the help of a few others, took those uh, those tweaks and made it into one very easy-to-apply patch. So um, while I'm a giant fan of the game, and I'm certainly not trying to, to say anything negative about all of the work that developer did, it is my preference to get rid of that woohoo sound so uh, anybody that wants an easier way to do that you could download the patch for ips or bps and just very quickly patch the rom um, i'm hosting it on retro rgb because i guess uh, romhacking.net didn't want to host it because it's a patch that could be done with a game genie code don't really know if i agree with that but you know what that's an amazing site with a bunch of amazing patches on it so you know that's cool agree to disagree i'll happily host that on retro rgb but either way if you would like to turn off the woohoo on uh, new super mario land for snes just download this easy to find patch and uh, that's it developer matthew keel has been working on a port of one of the original castlevania games to the intellivision of course he's calling it intellivania which is awesome uh, and i had the pleasure of seeing this at the portland retro gaming expo and I I probably sat there playing it for a good minute before I realized that it wasn't an original game because I'm kind of going oh I didn't I didn't know they made Castlevania on the Intellivision but it's that good it looks like it came from a big game studio the music both and the graphics were really impressive um, and while he did post a video of basically just a a video camera on a CRT. So it's cool. Got to show off what it looked and sounded like a bit, but if you see this in person, it definitely doesn't do it justice. Um, it's really, you need to play it to see how cool it is. Uh, it's not finished yet, but Matthew's looking to sell hard copies of it when it's done. So I'll keep everybody updated. And if you want a cool teaser, check out the video. There's now an open source ROM cart for the Vectrix called Vextreme, which was made by Ratboy and Technobly. Technobly? Technobly? Sorry. <laughs> you know I always get these things wrong. Uh, but the concept is pretty awesome. Uh, you connect it via USB to pretty much any device, and it's detected as a USB thumb drive. So then you could then just dump all of your ROMs onto it, and that's it. Then the game list is sorted internally, and you use the Vectrix itself to choose the game. Um, they're looking to add things like folder support in the future, but at the moment, I mean, this is a, a pretty awesome ROM cart. Uh, I guess it could also probably be used as a base for things like Intellivision or ColecoVision as well. And if you wanted to, uh, if you want to make your own, you should be able to get the parts for just about $25. And a uh, tech. Technobly, Technobly should be making some available for sale. 
but I, I'm really impressed at this, and I really would love to see more open-source ROM carts like this, especially for consoles that uh, maybe aren't as widely popular as others. So that way, projects like this, you know, if somebody stops making them, they won't just die out. People could pick it up. Uh, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe somebody, once, I guess, once it's verified and everything, maybe somebody will pick up the open-source version of it and make a few for people to buy. But... Either way, I'm super impressed and amazing work, Ratboy and, and Techno Technobly. Uh, thank you very much. Furtech has just posted some more updates to the Neo SD Loader project, which is essentially the optical drive emulator for the Neo Geo CD. First up, pictures of what is probably the final product or close to it were uh, shown, and it looks pretty neat. Also, uh, he's still determining how that you'll be able to keep both the CD drive and the SD reader both at the same time, uh, both in a physical way, because you'd have to mount the SD reader in a place where it wouldn't get in the way of anything else. But ideally, you wouldn't have to cut anything. You could just double sided tape it to the, the back corner or something or front corner. Um, and also, how do you launch both of those? So, you know, is it does it always boot to SD and then you press a button to launch CD or vice versa? So he's still working out those details, but uh, trying to trying to get it ironed out for launch, which is incredible because I just really love the thought of loading up the whole Neo Geo CD-ROM set onto one SD card, throwing that inside, and then, you know, just still having the ability to play the discs if I really wanted to. And also, much more impressive for Neo Geo CD fans is the loading time. Uh, it looks like it's going to be four times as fast as the original CDs were. So that's amazing. That I mean, that really makes it so much more playable. So thanks very much to Furtech for all of his amazing work. I can't wait to buy one of these things and give it a shot. And I'll keep everybody updated as to more, as to any of the more, uh, like the bigger updates to the project. Both the G-SCART switch and G-COMP switch are now in stock and ready to ship from Super G. Uh, of course, at the time of shooting this, they're in stock. These things tend to go pretty quick. But I wanted to let everybody know because ever since the original release of the G-SCART switch, it's usually been a pre-order basis with occasionally there'll be some leftovers in stock and then goes back to a pre-order. So uh, at the moment, it looks like he has a bunch in stock and should be able to ship fairly quickly. Uh, and I obviously am giant fans of these switches. Um, you know, and of course, everybody always asks the question, you know, well, why are they so expensive? Why can't you buy a cheaper alternative? Um, there are cheaper alternatives out there. I really liked the Otaku Switch. There's that new Switch from Brazil that looks pretty cool as well. But if you want something that is fully featured, and of course, designed specifically for the retro gaming community, that's when you would want to upgrade to these premium switches. And uh, both of them are auto-switching 8-in and 2-out, which is great for streamers or just for people that have both like an OSSC setup and an RGB monitor setup. Uh, and of course, the G-SCART switch has a bunch of really great sync regeneration features, which is essentially a fancy way of doing sync stripping, but that doesn't cause any kind of image shift or anything like that. And it even has support for sync on green component video pass through so you could actually end up linking all these things together it's they're they're pretty great devices so uh anybody that's been waiting on one of these grab them while they're still in stock and uh you know i'm not sure how super g plans to sell them in the future but it would be pretty cool if they were just in stock at a store somewhere so no one would have to wait anymore 
YouTube user Matsuken has recently posted a video demonstrating the audio differences in Famicom and NES consoles, and it was pretty interesting to see how wild they varied between different revisions. And while of course I'd love more information like what each motherboard revision was, you know, how did the capacitors look and all that stuff, uh, it doesn't really matter. The whole point of the video is just to show that there are some pretty major differences. And also, it kind of brings up the question, which one's the right one? Is it always the first one that was released? Is there one that's better than another? And is there a way to change any of these? Which brings us to the next section. So the last post talked about different audio samples from different consoles of NES and Famicom, and there's still always going to be an ongoing debate as to what's the best. Is it the one that you grew up with, because that's what your ears are used to hearing? Uh, is it the original Famicom, because that's what's generally regarded as the best? But forgetting about all of that, I think the one thing that most people agree on is what model of NES or Famicom has the worst audio, and that's generally regarded as the AV Famicom. And uh, lucky for us, an amazing guide was just put together that shows how to take an AV Famicom and an SRGB and to perform a couple mods on it in order to get perfectly balanced sound um, that's equal to or better than what most people would ever be used to out of a NES or Famicom console. Um, excellent guide uh, and just a giant thank you to the full team of people that worked on this which is bfb tn fang ace Fluxcore, and game and clyde and uh in all honesty this is the type of stuff that i can't wait to see more of on the wiki um this guide the moment the wiki opens this is going to be one of the first ones posted because of course it's already done and, and ready but uh as with all the other guides on retro rgb are going to be pulled over there but it's just amazing to see a bunch of people come together to to come up with a guide and good documentation that could be used for years to come. So thanks so much to everybody. Uh, I'd love to see more of these. And I know most people don't like to read anymore, but written guides are absolutely the way to go. And, you know, it's unfortunate that for you to get any traction or to get noticed at all these days, you have to do videos. But the, a video is completely useless the moment one thing about it is now no longer true you know one thing changes whereas it whenever you have a post like this if somebody figures out like you know oh hey you know swap the capacitor to this level just change the guide whereas you can't just change a video that's already up so while i understand that people need to make videos to build their following and they need to make videos in order to get noticed Please don't forget that written is going to last forever and can easily be updated, whereas the videos can't. So I wish I could spend, I wish I could go back to spending most of my time on doing the written stuff as opposed to some of the review videos. But I mean, then no one would pay attention just like they didn't before. So not complaining. I absolutely love, you know, my day to day work for this website and the videos and everything. But I do want to impress upon the fact that work like this group of people has done will absolutely outlive any video that you could possibly do, and especially in the scenario of a wiki, could be built upon. So once again, thanks so much to the group, uh, and thanks so much to any, all the people that have been wanting to contribute, and I promise the wiki's coming soon, um, and there are very good reasons why it's delayed. So don't worry, it's, it's coming and it's going to be awesome. Hyperkin just released a controller for both the TurboGrafx and the PC Engine that's $30 and comes with an adapter that works on both consoles. It's modeled off of the original TurboGrafx controller, but with uh, kind of the side wings folded in 
the, the I guess is the best way I could describe it for people listening audio only, but it has the same two bottom sides as like their Nest Cadet controller, which I honestly found to be very comfortable. So, um, to be honest, uh, I've played some pretty crappy third-party Turbo Graphics controllers before, but with those uh, the original OEM controllers getting more expensive and rare, and of course the cords are short, you only have uh, you have to have one per console. This seems like it's got the potential to be pretty awesome. And I've had great experience with Hyperkin controllers. Not everybody has. I've heard mixed reviews on their Nest Cadet controller, but the two or three I've had, I think the original was a little weird, and then the the other two that I've had after that have been perfect. So I, I definitely, for 30 bucks, I would keep my hopes up for this one. It seems like a pretty decent one. Um, you know, Hyperkin gets a bad rep for all of the garbage that they release, because they do release a whole bunch of crap. Uh, they're, they're now pushing those HDMI cables, trying to claim that... Um, trying to get rid of the stigma that they have of their stuff, but then they send out the same exact rebranded Chinese crap from the same factory that makes the pound cables. But I don't know. I, I almost feel like they should spin off their controller line into a different name so it's not so tainted and people don't you know immediately recoil when they see the name Hyperkin. Maybe I'm being a little harsh, but really... Not really, if you've checked out any of their other products. Cool plastic cases, you know, cool boxes, garbage electronics in most of them. But the controllers have been pretty good. And I also wanted to mention another controller that's available uh, called the Ranger controller from Hyperkin, which is for the Atari 2600. And it combines both a rotary controller and kind of a D-pad style, like half a cross between a stick and a D-pad type of thing. And it looks really interesting. Um, I'm respectfully not the biggest fan of the 2600 library, but the games that I do like the most tend to be the ones with the weird controllers because it provides a pretty unique experience. But I'm wondering if I'll have a different experience playing with a controller I'd like more. Generally, I'll just use the Sega Genesis controller on the 2600, but I don't know. This one's pretty neat. For 25 bucks, if you're a fan of the 2600, it seems like it's a worthwhile thing to buy, especially because you get a rotary controller and a stick controller all in one. So uh, Castlemania Games is stocking both of those, and the links to both are in that same post. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. And speaking of controllers, Retrobit just announced that they'll be releasing a wireless N64 controller in 2020. The controller will have 2.4 gigahertz technology, not Bluetooth, which is always good for retro. And uh, the memory card will plug into the receiver. So that kind of makes sense because you're not going to be transferring data over 2.4 gigahertz. As a result, the transfer pack will not be compatible, which I'm sure there's a few different reasons. Uh, and no word on rumble pack support yet, which I don't know how the data is transmitted for the rumble pack. So that might be such minimal data that it could, it could be fine without adding any latency or cutting out. But they have not announced that yet. Um, also, it's kind of based off of their wired N64 controller, which I have, and I thought it was pretty decent. I didn't clock many hours with it, but the only complaint I had was the D-pad was so awkwardly stuck in the middle, um, and it looks like this new version moved the D-pad over to the left, which is a good choice, because that was my only real complaint about this one. That, And it was kind of weird to get used to where the Z-targeting was, and uh, I believe they're actually 
improving on where the Z buttons go on this one. So it looks like it could be a decent contender. I think Hyperkin has another one sort of similar that they announced too. Um, for me personally, uh, you know, with controllers, it's comfort. Do the buttons work? And for wireless, does it add any lag? And I haven't had a chance to, to do any real tests on the Retrobit Saturn controller. But um, I guess if nobody else gets to it, I'll do it soon enough. But, of course, remember that you don't ever want to use the manual lag test for actual measurements. Now, for basic stuff like, like, hey, I wonder if this has lag or not. Let's do this ten times in a row and see. Like, being able to stay like, okay, maybe this is worth testing. You know, maybe I am feeling some lag. That's cool. That's kind of what it's there for. And that's what everybody that's familiar with it uses it for. But the actual numbers and stuff on there, that's just kind of just to prove your basic results. You don't want to use that for some solid numbers. So you're going to have to use the LED and high-speed camera test or use a scope. Um, and depending on the controller and the console, using a scope might actually require custom software for being run on a ROM cart or something. So uh, for this one, for the Saturn one, I'd probably just go back and do the, uh, the LED test as I would with the N64 as well. But I haven't had time for that recently. So I will try to jump on that as soon as I can so I could publish some real numbers. Uh, and I think my environment's a good one for wireless too, because there's a gazillion wireless networks around me. And even in the neighborhood I'm in, the Crix controller, all of my tests on that one completely lined up with the tests that other people had done and that it was almost zero lag. So at least we know for a fact there's potential for there to be well-built low lag controllers out there. But Anyway, I'll keep everybody posted on the lag testing, and uh, I guess we'll have to wait till 2020 in order to get the new N64 controllers. Well, that's it for this week. Hopefully I'll have my voice back by the time I shoot the next video. <laughs> but as always, thank you so much for listening, watching, and of course, thanks so much to everybody who supports, because all the behind-the-scenes research and a lot of the stuff that we work on would never happen if it weren't for you. So thank you all so much, and we'll see you next week.